0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Evolution Exchange. This is the platform for thought leaders within the tech space to share ideas on current topics of relevance to our community of technology and business followers. I'm Ritesh and I'll be your host for today's session where we're going to be discussing basically everyone's favorite topic right now, AI and technology, but we're going to talk more on how it's revolutionizing marketing. So joining me for today's discussion are three top leaders in the marketing world and they are Judson Théo, the head of marketing for Food Panda, the Vinyakong, the head of marketing at Coach Hub, and Yang Theo, the head of demand generation at Brancas. Now, as everyone probably would know by now, since I'm posting these quite regularly now, um, I'm not really a fan for introducing my guests so much. I like them to do it themselves. So, Yang, would you like to start off?
1: Yes, sure. Thanks, Ritesh, for the invite and uh, the very short intro. So, hi, everyone. I'm Yang. I'm from Brancas, and Brancas is a Singapore based uh, fintech. Actually, we built embedded finance and banking technology for emerging markets. Um, yeah. yeah, we, we figured that's on the and I that we probably have to introduce our companies, but maybe Food Panda is more self explanatory. <laughs> but um, I started my career in advertising and actually digital marketing agencies. But, and today in Broncos, my team is a three man, very intimate, small team. Um, me personally, I live in Singapore. And since we're talking about AI, I just thought I wanted to share something about AI at home. The only real AI I have is uh, Google Home. It's a very small tool that I have that I only rely on for setting timers. So nothing too um, advanced uh, or anything that I program. So more of a simple person
2: at home right now living in Singapore. But that's about me. Thank you. Um, okay, Judson. Hi, everyone. I'm Judson. Um, so I, I suppose everyone knows who Panda Um so food panda, it's not just food delivery. Uh, it is. It is also about groceries and um, sending parcels, and then there's also um, dine in, etc., etc. So my official scope in food panda is to look after the new verticals, meaning everything except for food delivery. Um, so it requires a different set of um, marketing skills uh, to grow new businesses. Um, and so, just like yeah, I also have a Google Home and I use it for radio, and that's about it. I don't ask it to switch uh, to uh, turn on the tv or anything i'm just pretty manual at home except for radio yeah okay great and davinia
3: lucky last well hi everyone my name's davinia i look after the marketing for APEC at coach hub uh, for those of you who don't know coach hub is a startup but it's also a global digital coaching platform that gives people and organizations access to top coaches from around the world so that's 90 countries, 60 different languages. It's powered by analytics and our behavioral scientists from our innovation labs. And yeah, I'm excited to be here today with uh, Judson Yang and yourself, Ritesh. And the only AI I use at home is Alexa. And she does everything for me, so I'm quite spoiled.
0: <laughs> okay, great. Um, I guess you're the only one using Alexa because the rest of us, even myself included, I'm also using a Google Home. Um, and I'm the same as both Young and Judson. I've just uh, I, I just do both at the same time. Mine is music and the uh, and the alarm, and that's about it. Um, now, obviously, we're going to be talking a lot about technology and AI in this. Um, for everyone who's watching, we're going to be also going into how exactly you can build up your marketing team for the future, as well as what the differences in marketing culture would be like for a startup versus an MNC. Uh, and then we've got a, like a little bonus question. I'm sure this bonus question, I might not even have to uh, ask it towards the end of the entire discussion. It's probably going to come up at some point. But first, we're going to talk about technology and marketing, right? Um, Let's stay away from AI as much as possible when we speak about this first, guys. Um, I want to talk first about the legacy tools within marketing, you know, different tools that you might be using for your CRMs or other systems. Um, Any examples of new tools that you guys have started exploring and you might be using now? And, you know, what do you think, in your opinion, are some tools that companies should adopt? So, uh, Judson, do you want to start us off with this?
2: Yeah, so one of the verticals I look after is uh, Panda Mart. Um, It's our own grocery online supermarket. And uh, as with um, supermarkets, there are weekly promos. So that would mean to say that I need to churn out creatives every single week. And the go-to tool for us is Canva. I'm not sure whether Canva is considered new, new, but I think in the marketing world it's pretty standard right now. Um before Canva in the past, we would rely on creative agencies and then um the turnaround would be you know dependent on the human speed. Uh and then we 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 have our own we had our own um Canva Enterprise account and then we train ourselves. Of course there's a huge library of um of um what do you call that? Visual images and and stuff like that to to actually use it, um, but it, it took us only a few days to familiarize ourselves with the platform, understand how the li- the different libraries work, and then it's just up to our creativity creativity. And of course, there are standard templates whereby we use we use to create uh, the different creatives. So it was really the setup time was really fast, and then once you're familiar with it, it's just it's just really you can churn out a lot of things within one day. So, um, I think Canva is pretty good. Anything that's drag and drop is really good for us.
0: Yeah. Okay, great. And yeah, Yeah,
1: actually, we use Canva too. I was thinking of, of a tool that is, uh, I'm not sure if it's leg- uh, legacy, but Figma is what what we use at, at, at Rankers. So that's something that all our designers and marketing team can get in to edit together. I think the, the good part is right now with access, uh, we can move stuff around, we can change the text. So it's uh it's it's pretty straightforward when it comes to churning out um new content duplicating stuff uh even when the designers on leave you know now we're kind of enabled to to do these things by, by ourselves right so I think I think that that's something that's that's good i I'm not having quite pictured how it's gonna evolve like is it uh will uh will future tools be able to kind of just create like just churn out new con- new new uh, design for us and um, then I'm not sure yet In terms of other tools that I use that's legacy, I think that the main one is HubSpot. I think HubSpot is pretty standard for a lot of the startups and small businesses. I've used it for, I think, four years now. So we do it, we use it for CRM, we use it for emails, uh, we use it for, I guess, like a bit of marketing automation when it comes to uh, when someone submits a form, then they receive this. So it's still fairly manual. Um, I... We only automate a few things when it comes to people um, maybe getting uh, being uh, enrolled into certain workflows for Nurture. Uh, but other than that, uh, it still requires quite a fair bit of uh, eyeballing, even creating dashboards, uh, analyzing leads and, and, and contacts, which we're now, I think, taking to uh, to new platforms that I think are more suitable for that. So one of, one of it we're using is called Hex. Um, it, it, helps with some uh, analytics. So these are some of the tools we kind of use on a daily basis.
0: Okay, cool. And Davinia, what about yourself?
3: I'm in the B2B space and I have to say automation tools ironically have given me more manual work, <laughs> regardless of whether I'm in an MNC or startup. And, and when Yang talked about HubSpot, you know, I had that reaction because we, we did our own transformation from HubSpot to Salesforce. But in terms of the the tools that we use, um, you guys mentioned a lot of what we use as well. I'll mention a new one, which is monday.com. So that's for project management. Um, I think that's really helpful when you have matrix teams or teams that are split across the world to just kind of organize different tasks and see what everybody is doing at the same time without having you know too many messages flying around. So that's one that we use. And I think that's really helped us stay really organized in terms of the task and the assignments um, and deadlines and access to any kind of assets and materials.
0: Okay, cool. I think for me as well, Like I, I, I share very similar um, tools to some of you as well. Like We use Canva quite a lot. That's the main, the main tool we use when it comes to graphic design. But a, a few other tools that we use, uh, you know, for, for websites, we use WordPress. I know a lot of people are probably going to hate the fact that we're still using WordPress, but it still works. It's, it's still pretty decent. It does the job um and then for our mailing we actually have two systems one would be mailchimp so it's probably the biggest one still i'd say um for your newsletters and and other creative content that comes through in the form of an email and then we also have our own crm system so we used to use hubspot a little bit but i think with hubspot because it's just such a big system on its own it's such a big product you're not really utilizing all of it right so for us, we didn't really use it nearly as much as what we probably should have. And it just wasn't worth it. So we've actually shifted over. We've been using our own in-house uh, system that we created with our own in-house developers as well. So that, that was uh, pretty good. And it's working out quite nicely, although it is getting to the point where it's a little bit too legacy now. I think we also might need to to get a little bit of a change coming in. Um, So those, those are different tools that we're all using. Um, What do you guys think? companies should be adopting a, as, as a tool though away from ai if there was one that's just a regular one to help out um judson
2: um i think i think when it comes to when it comes to crm we usually think about newsletters and push notifications and stuff like that but for a mobile app like us um, and I'm I'm not sure what tool that is called, but there are some service providers out there that would enable us to target. Um, okay, because when it comes to when it comes to mobile app usage, everything is all about segmentation. And essentially, when you think about segmentation, it is literally a segment of you. You want to derive at a point whereby it's a segment of one, whereby it is ultimate person, ultimate ultimate personalization every single time. A, a different human being comes onto our onto the mobile app, he, he, he or she sees a different thing. I don't, I've not seen uh, such level of sophistication right now and it's more a combination of CRM tools like Salesforce or Brace plus a lot of uh, development effort right now on, on our end to reach this, this level of personalization. So it would actually be great that actually if there's something out there in the market that can, can allow us to be Fast to to allow us to reach this goal of um, ultimate personalization faster. So I'm not really answering your question, but I think if there's such a tool like that, then that will be the tool that I need. Actually. Okay, yeah.
0: that's fair. The venue? Anything in particular that you wanted to try? or You think that maybe should be adopted?
3: Non AI? Did you say?
0: Yeah, <laughs> I <Ideally>. feel. <laughs>
3: Well, I well then I, I'm gonna have to to, you know, uh agree with Judson. Like I think everyone's talking about, you know, to death account-based marketing or account-based everywhere. So that personalization would be um incredible if we could apply that in some way. I think right now it's still very manual. Um, I know there are some um, you know, expensive and sophisticated tools out there like Sixth Sense and whatnot. Um, we don't use those, but Um, it's almost like having, um, you know, an integration with your Salesforce and your CRM to be able to see, you know, multiple touch points. But to that level of personalization detail, that would be incredible. Um, But yeah, I don't know any at the moment (laughs) non-AI.
0: Okay, no worries. And Yang, anything in particular on your end?
1: Yeah, I think the personalization one makes a, a lot of sense, especially if you're a company targeting like multiple countries. Um, and and various segments, you you wanna be able to have that personalization. Uh, for me, I think something that would be uh, really good, I think from a data standpoint. And I don't know, th- I don't know the tool, but if we're able to uh, integrate um, data from various platforms that you use, let's say we use AdWords, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, and then from email, and maybe what even the salespeople do, and all, all that can become be pulled together uh, to be able to. Just um, to, to see insights uh, as as a whole, I, I think that would be something useful, um, and and that's something currently in in many companies. I think it's still the full time job of multiple people just to put it all together. Uh, yeah, hoping I can find such 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 a thing to kind of save time for a lot of other people.
0: Okay, now let's move into this into AI because I know you guys probably would would want to discuss that a little bit more too, um, but to actually. Go into this, um, and you can think it's AI it can be linked to different tools. And I'm going to start with you on this, Davinia. Um, you mentioned automation earlier on, right? So, my question here is how can us as marketers strike the right balance between using automation and also at the same time um, delivering personal communication to our consumers?
3: Wow, that's the million dollar question. Um, (laughs) I don't think I've ever met um, a customer that didn't like the personal touch, right? Like a face-to-face. I mean, there are some, you know, digital touch points that really um, make a difference. I think at the end of the day, it really depends on the persona that you're going after um, and what's the kind of integrated marketing mix that's going to really speak to them um, and really have an impact on them. You know, you could have all the automation tools you want um, but after a while, you know, they, they kind of sound the same. And me as a marketer, I see all these emails and messages. You know, I, I think people are trying to, to sound more human in them. They're trying to add a bit more flair and personality, and that's great. But, but perhaps because I'm a marketer, when I see it, I, you know, I get a certain reaction. And I know it's, it's not from somebody versus someone that actually took the time um, to really think through the email and, you know, probably had Google to help it with along the way. Um so I don't know if that answers your question but I, I think it really depends on the persona that you're targeting and what's the kind of mix that you want to um kind of portray and, and send to them.
1: Yeah, to that. I think we um I think we're not at the stage where we're very comfortable talking to to, to a machine or, or a bot. Um there's some really sophisticated chatbots out there. But who, who can tell it's it's not it's not a human or, or, or it's a bot. I think it's it's pretty straightforward, and at uh, ultimately, you still want to talk and do business with people. Um, maybe I'm kind of jumping the gun there. but yeah, I think we are quite far from um, being being comfortable, you know, speaking to a, a machine and being able to trust it with all, all the decisions, unless it's a really basic one, like um, just maybe suspending a credit card or like waiving a bill. Uh, but, but besides that, I think if you want a kind of in depth discussion. Um yeah, it's quite kind of obvious when when you see like emails come in and you, you know that you know someone wrote it and they tried their best to personalize like a, a company name, a job title, but beyond that, you know, it's it's pretty much just uh, a single template, right?
2: Right. And Judson, anything that you wanna to add to that? You know, I get so irritated these days when I call certain banks and then I have to speak to a AI and then my Singaporean accent that the AI doesn't understand. Like, how can I help you with today? And then I was like, I need to cancel my account. She doesn't understand. Like, it doesn't understand. So, <laughs> and then it was like, I had to dig several layers, always several minutes before I'm allowed to give the option to speak to a human being. And 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 marketing is also CX. It's also c- customer experience, right? And so, um, and so, like, I, I, I do agree with Young and, and Divinia. We are we are communicating with human beings. It's, it is the human beings who, 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 you know, pay our salaries and, and buy our products. Um, and sometimes over-automation dangerously reduces cons- complex consumer behavior into into just numbers. And um, uh, if the, the the further ahead we are in automation, the the worse it gets when it comes to, you know, using our intuition to do marketing. I think that's a very important thing. And we, got, we get we then we risk becoming very comfortable with you know looking at all the different digital matrix and then we totally ignore how human beings behave in the first place. Yeah. So so yeah. That's my that's my my take.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's that's a fair point. I think one thing as well that um, I heard as well recently, and it it made a lot of sense. Just generally, when you think about it, is when you've got a lot of chatbots around now um you know taking over uh your people's customer service departments right organizations departments and that you're never gonna have customers asking the same questions constantly every customer is most likely gonna have something very different i mean i know i know johnson you you spoke of um maybe what might be a little bit more of a common question to cancel an account or anything and it was maybe based off your accent it didn't understand you but even just having to press a button, um, you know, on these chatbots that ask you, press one for this, press two for this. It's like everyone's going to have a different question. You're going to need a human on the other end of the, uh, of the line at some point. Um, and I think it's, it's gotten to the point now where a lot of these, custom, uh, these companies, they don't actually seem to care nearly as much about their customer experience because at the end of this five, 10 minutes on hold or trying to press all these buttons... Sorry, we can't connect you to anyone right now. Please call again later. And it ends. And then I just feel like I, I, I just want to uh, get even more frustrated. But no, I, I, get, I get where you guys are coming from with that. And then when you look at um, AI now, right? What do you think would be the right approach for a company to try integrating AI into, I guess it's daily operations on an internal side, not just a customer-facing one, but on an internal side? Uh, yeah. Um, I think ultimately you wanna do
1: what you're comfortable with. I guess we we, we all kind of have biases in like what we think work. I think for every uh, company, you like let's say you're you're familiar with uh social media. I think you wanna you wanna get the tool that that helps you in in, in the stuff that you're you're most familiar with because uh, ultimately you you know what you know, and if, if the tool says something and it makes sense, you're more inclined to trust it. But if you you're gonna if you're not, a, let's say, a pro in EVM and you go and invest in some tool like that, and then whatever they tell you, you're gonna have a lot of doubt. You're gonna be spending so much time researching, and it's it's gonna be counterintuitive. Like you're gonna be wasting a lot of time. You're you're hoping the tool will edu- educate you, because like the ultimately, like a, a tool, like an AI tool, doesn't make your marketing better. Like it, it, if you're good at it, it will only help you get better. But if, if you if you suck at it, um, it, it's not gonna it's not gonna be silver That you know that that improves. Um, your ABM or your your writing or your email marketing. So I think ultimately my, my advice I guess for a lot of like the um, teams would be you know if, if that's something you're familiar with, I think that's that's where and, that, and that's and you know where where are the areas to automate. I think those are the, those are the kind of platforms that you want to be buying rather than something that's super foreign. right those maybe you want to spend some time doing more manual learning and research and talking to people before you you know do any investment
0: yeah and davinia
3: yeah um i would say pick what's the most time-consuming work and for me it's video production because we're living in a video age as you can see and ritesh i was we were talking about it the other day right opus clips um that is a ai tool that you know where for those of you who don't know i mean i'm not in you know you endorsing them or they're paying me for it but you basically upload a long form video and bam, it creates um, clips for you, keywords, optimization, suggestions, ad suggestions, copy suggestions. It's amazing. The problem is it's not brand compliant, right? And and perhaps you need to do some work with translations, but it's a wonderful tool. And I'm actually experimenting it you know, more personally on my side. Um, and I think the best way is to start with small pilots to show proof of concept and confidence, and then you can start
2: scaling it. And Judson, so recently we um, right now it's about award season, uh, award season in, in Singapore across APEC, whereby different companies submit um, their submissions. You know, for best campaign, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Usually, when we submit these kind of entries, it uh, requires a lot of great writing. And what I found was was good was that um, with ChatGPT, you ChatGPT can give us a great first draft like you insert all your different points your data points what you want to say and everything and then ChatGPT gives you this entire this like five different paragraphs of stuff right and then when we read it it didn't sound human to us it didn't sound very um like 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 it wasn't written by somebody who was emotionally invested in in a campaign but that was far from the truth because we invested everything in 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 all these campaigns right so Internally speaking, I think um, AI will greatly help if we if we need to write long press releases, or instruction manuals, or um, even to create decks, right, um, as a first draft. Um, but then I will not rely on it uh, to churn out the final product uh, for the target audience. There will always there always be the human being who needs to come in and correct the grammar, make it sound more human, make it more presentable, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
1: Yeah, yeah, I find it really hard to get the AI to sound very human or good. I, I, I've, I've tried many, many ways. It always sounds like some, some machine. It's just full of color, fluffy, fluffy text. I just think yeah, you percent yeah. 50%, 50% of the time I'm just removing words that they, they don't in, make. A lot you know,
2: of sense. in fact, LinkedIn these days they, they just came up with a, what do you call that? Top community voice for marketing for marketing and stuff like that. And then they said that it's written by AI, so. And then when I read it, 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 it's exactly like that. It's very general and it gives you a direction. And that is why they invite uh, people like us to go in and comment to make it sound more human. So I I, I find it a very interesting. I, I don't know what, what they're doing, but it sounded like it comes across as gamification and it's like a social experiment to see how people on LinkedIn will react to it. And and I think it's that's, that's very uh, smart of them. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I I fully get it as well, like when you end up using a lot of AI tools, even for for small little bits of, of work, like let's say, for example, you just come up with a very short description for a new podcast that we want to put out or come up with ideas. It definitely does help, but a lot of tailoring is needed, because the one thing that, you know, you, you talk about tone of voice for, for AI or ChatGPT here, for example, in this instance, but a lot of the time, it's still missing out on context, right? So... It can only do so much with data and that's about it. It's whatever you put in. Um, when it comes to relating to context, you're always gonna need someone there. Especially if you're if you're gonna be wanting to use AI or companies are adopting data-driven decisions here, uh in in whatever vertical even for, for the company as as a whole. I don't think I would trust AI to, to make that decision for me either. It can do numbers, it can calculate everything for me as much as it wants. I think As humans, it's in our nature to always doubt. We're always going to want to have a look and do it ourselves as well to make sure it makes sense first and try to apply whatever else might be relevant enough and then see how we can move forward from there. Um, So for now, I think if anything, AI is more of a way of, as you said, maybe like a first draft or it could be a case where it just helps to save a bit of time or it could just be as, I guess, I don't know if I want to term it this, but a bit of like an independent advisor for certain things as well. Uh, but that's as far as I, I'd put it right now. What, what about you, Davinia? What do you think?
3: Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned earlier, like there's some amazing tools out there that can really help you in terms of time consuming work. But definitely you do know your company and your brand and your customers a lot better. So that's why adding context and your own Kind of point of view is really important because a lot of the information could get duplicated. You don't know if it's entirely accurate um, most of the time what they're putting out there. So it's really important to still have that journalistic view of kind of double checking the sources, checking your work, um, adding adding that context as you mentioned earlier.
0: Yeah, but do you guys think with everyone adopting a lot of these tools now, we're bec- we're I guess, already becoming overly dependent on them? Or do you think some people are still a bit too far away from that? They, they still see it as them being independent enough. And uh, the reason why I ask this is because there's a lot of um, surveys that have been taking place now. And I, I remember reading one just uh, a couple of days ago saying that apparently, uh, I think it was 40% of people have already started adopting AI into their work. But 75% of people will claim that that work is their own. What well, what do you guys think about all of this? Yang?
1: Um I never heard. That's an interesting survey. When I when I hear people claim claiming it as their own, <laughs> reminds me of uh, I think people at school. I think you do, you you do an assessment. I think it's very likely they make, like if you a lot of people have the kind of similar answers. They're like, oh yeah, I mean, they probably you know ask this platform to to write something for um for for them. I think we're probably not over dependent yet. Honestly, my honest feedback, I, I hope I, I would love to be more dependent on it. If they're better, I would use it more. I think we're it's, it's not at it's not at a level where I can trust it fully. Um every any anytime I do something, I, I have to verify like plenty of times, like proofread or check the data. Uh recently I asked I asked Bard, I guess, to help me do some keyword research across different markets to see search volume. And I got some answers after various various Q and A with with it. I still haven't verified if, if it's the absolute truth because uh, because I've I've seen so many mistakes right uh, over like even doing holiday research. They tell me that this, the distance between this and that is shorter than that, um, but actually clearly it's wrong. So I have to I have to ask the person like what I mean what person I mean I got to ask ChatGPT like what's going on like well, why is it why is this thing wrong? So I think we're really quite far from us being super dependent on it. But I think one thing I can say, is it has saved me quite a fair bit of um, time, especially in uh, writing. I think, I think that something maybe like uh, preparing, for, for instance, panel discussion or talking point, something that used to take maybe 45 minutes, I think I today it could be shortened to like 15 minutes. So I think when it comes to just generating random content or ideas, I think for now it, it's good. Um, I'd say if I were, if I were to use it even more and more, then what? One day, if, if it if it if it dies, then I think I, I'm gonna be a, a sad person. I think I might do OT a little bit more more than uh, more than today.
2: <laughs> okay, uh, Judson Um, actually, if you think about it, back in school, if you want to re- prepare for a research paper, you will go to the library, you would search for books, and then you photocopy all those pages and then you read it, you process it and then you extract the main idea and you put it into the report. Uh, AI or ChatGPT or whatever, it is just a very, very express method to do so. So the rules of plagiarism is still, is still going to apply. It's just not, just because you use a- AI to help you write doesn't mean that you can claim the work to be your own. You still need to give credit to the AI. And if I, I don't know how you can, you can do so. However, if you think about it, maybe 50 years ago, the washing machine is AI. The refrigerator is AI, right? Um, Microsoft Excel, it was also AI back then. And to this day, I don't think anybody can survive without, with, with complicated mathematical um, data analysis without Excel or without uh, SQL. So do people doubt the accuracy of these uh, programs? I, I think so. But now today, we fast forward so many decades later, people are just, it's just a default, right? So we never say never. Now today, it is um, good enough for idea generation, not good enough for um, for us to create visuals or videos that are emotional enough. But I don't know, 20 years later, it might be the main thing. It might be the default thing, 20 years later. I can't
1: wait yeah. for the day when it's like the absolute truth. It's like, oh yeah, this shit is uh, more, it's probably more accurate than me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Listen to the story. Don't, don't don't ask me. Anything. And Devineer, what are your thoughts on its dependency, or our dependency on it, brother?
3: Well, I think there. You know, I agree with all the the speakers today, and I think we're in an age of information overload, of deep fakes, of fake news, right? And I think people have such a short, uh, you know, attention space, right? That whatever information is given out there, they probably take it at face value. They probably don't even check. And I think you already see that um, every day. And you probably see some videos that are already created by AI where it's not the actual person. The subtitles are all created. Um, I've seen a few. They're actually quite convincing. Um, but I would say that, you know, you, you really can't tell these days because it, it, it's getting better. The technology is getting better. Um but and and there's so much information. So I think goes back to what I said originally about also having that context and that human touch as well, so that people gain trust. And I think people can tell if you're passionate about a topic or not, or if you're really genuinely, uh, if you genuinely care about something. And that's something I don't think AI at this point that I've seen can really bring that across. I think people um, people are experimenting with it. I do know in. In China and maybe in the US, there are some AIs that are models that are Instagram models and actually people follow them and they actually get paid. Um, and, and so it's really fascinating, right? And and in China as well, they're creating these avatars and um, creatures that people are following as if they're a real human being. So I think it's definitely something we, we just need to watch out for it and just keep looking and embracing it.
0: Yeah, I think when you mentioned, like for example, those digital avatars now, <laughs> becoming their own like influencer in, in that sense i think we're we're actually in the beginning of uh what's going to turn out to be the biggest realistic sci-fi movie of all time We're <laughs> we're coming into that very very soon uh or maybe not soon enough but it's, it's it's here it's starting um one thing i wanted to ask and this is actually an interesting point that um someone from from another um linkedin live that i've done had commented and it was quite interesting because I think everyone would probably have a fairly different way of looking at it. So essentially, his 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 thoughts and question was: um, for Singapore itself, they you know Singapore's been named the number one adopter of AI solutions globally. Um, so what people have been putting out there is that maybe staff should be uh, embracing AI a lot more than maybe what some might have as a reservation to doing so. Uh, they should be embracing the the want to learn and try these new AI solutions for designs or creative work, as well as engaging with customers and clients. Is this something that you think should be encouraged more so by leadership? Or do you think people should just be taking their own initiative to want to look at it more? Davinia, what do you think?
3: Well, I think, you know, things always start at the top and, and people look to leadership for direction and to show that kind of commitment and interest. For example, at CoachUp, you know, we we launch an AI coach, right? As part of our research, um, can you actually get coached by an AI, not a real human being? And I think that was the premise. And it was, it was a pretty good effort. It's still beta. Um, and and I think doing that created a lot of conversations. And I think that's what you want. You want to get people to open their minds to the possibilities. And so that's when we had a lot of interest, not only from our own people, but from customers and also from the media around this tool and, and its possibilities, right? So I think definitely from the leadership, you, you need to start somewhere and, and spark that curiosity. Um, and then on your own initiative, because seeing that you, you might start thinking, hey, maybe I should start looking into it. Maybe I should read a little bit more. Maybe I should educate myself a little bit more.
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think I, I agree too. Um, I mean, it, it it sounds strange. Leadership says just like just go and do, just use use AI now. Like all of you, like uh, whatever tools, j- j- just you know, just implement it. Just try it out. I think ultimately the 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 root of it must come from the desire to you know optimize or improve somewhere, and then maybe they can suggest some some tools to test out as options. I I don't know whether. Uh, you you can kind of force people to, to do it because um, I think after all we're not it, it's, it's not proven that uh, like these tools will will make uh, make you better or, or, make, or make your company better yet. So I think uh, ultimately it comes down to um, a suggestion that um, I mean that maybe your your team leads have to, have to push down. Uh, I'm I'm not I'm not so sure whether um, I would just. Um, just tell people, like um, you know, as, as rule of thumb, just like start adopting all this because you know it, it's it's good for you. Right. So um, there's that. But but that said, I think for the most part, um, these tools are are gonna be more and more useful. I think you, you would slowly see um, as like the mentioned a few times about context. Right. I think the better uh, these tools get at context, uh, the more adoption it's gonna have. So I think a lot of yeah, I mean, I'm gonna. If those tools that are doing well, I, I, I envision them hiring a lot more people to to the develop to develop in in that area. Right. Um, so whether it's design, whether it's video editing, um, you know, someday they may maybe may be able to understand your brand guidelines perfectly and be able to generate something. I don't think we're too far away from from something like that when it comes to like something that's visual or or, or written.
2: Yeah, and Judson. I personally don't believe um, if your CEO says you need to use monday.com and then everyone will adopt it and use it. I think it needs to be from the ground up. I used to ask my team, I used to experiment monday.com, Asana, and Trello. None of them work. Like, we, we just didn't feel it, you know what I mean? And we just we'll ultimately just go back to our notebook. Until Slack integrated uh, came up with Canvas, because we are all on slack and then suddenly everybody were, were on canvas on slack and I, I I mean it's a very smart product feature right for for slack to introduce because uh, I think maybe they, they were they were looking at notion to be to be a competitor and and we do see some of our teams using notion I did try to use notion but it was just switching back and forth was just too effortful and then canvas came and then all of us were suddenly taking our notes at a group level all on canvas and so it needs to be grown up um, it needs to fit the the way our mind uh, the, that, that group dynamics and it needs to fit the the way the personal habit of taking notes uh, for example if you are taking, you're talking about taking notes um, in the same way as, as you, some people buy an iPad to watch movies some people buy an iPad to do note taking some people buy an iPad to just to highlight digital articles uh, very different way so pop down doesn't really work ground, ground up work, work. you just wait organically for people to find the, the best way Uh, the best tool Mm -hmm. to use yeah okay
0: um let's sort of move slightly away from from ai and technology here i mean it will probably come in anyways um but let's talk about the the way that we're going to be building teams now right for the future so obviously for example you you mentioned as well judson like it needs to start from the ground up with these tools with people wanting to be proactive to try these out i'm sure that's going to be one soft skill when you're looking for someone to join your team to have, right? The the, the wants to be proactive and take that initiative. But um, how specialized generally do marketers need to be now, right? Uh, in terms of the, the technical aspect of, of things. Um, yeah. I think
1: you'll still have to be um, quite technical, uh, even with um, the evolution of of technology because i think i think i mentioned earlier that you we're not at a stage where we can be confident about what the um very specific tools let's say let's say it's uh it's around abm or let's say it's around on um, social media um if, if they say if they tell you they tell you to do something let's say um this 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 tool says i think you should you know like uh have your website in twenty d languages and just reduce all your pages. to just three pages. Uh, you, you may, you may want to like think twice I know, before just implementing that. So I think uh, a, a quite a fair bit of specialization uh, is needed. But I think as the... Generally, I, um, when it comes to building teams, there are, to me, there are like, kind of two approaches. Right? One, one you, you may be a team full of specialists... And there are teams like that. Uh, so, um, like like my team is someone like that, right? There's someone who's who's a specialist in let's say in content, someone specialist in in um, like social media or paid marketing. So there are teams like that, and there are also teams where everyone's a generalist. I think there are some teams like that where maybe you are managing um, people across um, a whole region. So you've got people in Japan, in Korea. So everyone is sort of a generalist there, and they. Maybe they rely on various platforms and, and agencies to, to do stuff. So I think at this stage right now, I don't see any of it kind of going extinct. I think I think both are still in high demand and I, I don't think there's a clear preference where, where one is better than the other.
0: Okay. Uh, you mentioned, obviously, you, you've got in, in some teams, right? Some are generalists, some, some are specialized. Do you think the way that the market is moving in terms of what people are looking for, though... Um, that they would still want some specifics out of that like do you think you would see later on as time goes on the generalist will eventually go out and they will just be specialized and the reason why i'm asking this still is because um 2 years ago when i when i started looking out for for roles in marketing and everything everything was a little bit more generic you know you'd have your your marketing executive you'd have your social media manager or executive uh you'd have your growth marketer and you those were the, the general terms you'd find now it's becoming a, a thing where you see, I guess a more specialized title, if you want to put it that way. So you've got your content marketer, you've got your product marketer, you've got your growth marketer, your growth hackers, or, or whatever it might be. What, what do you think about this, or is this just a title to sell the role? Do you think it could go to yeah. anyone? I, I I really am not sure, honestly,
1: on this whether the journalists will be will be faced out. But I reckon like if you. Are- um, you are a specialist. Um, there, there's a space where you in fact you, you may be hired to to make s- some of these platforms uh, better. Um, I think like um, to let, let's say the platform is for let's say it's for design right? uh, or like video editing. Um, if, if you are a specialist in, in that area, I think very likely you may you may end up being poached you know, to join that to, to make to make that a, a super, super solid tool. Um, so I think, I mean, ultimately, the I think the the ch- the challenge in um, in uh, w- whether you want to be a specialist or or uh, or a generalist, I think it's still not yet solved. I think currently we're still pretty pretty flexible. You know, it's it's my it's my current take.
2: Okay.
3: I, I would say that it really depends on the company you join and what area of marketing the leadership is prioritizing, right? Because there are some founders or CEOs that really like let's say SEO or paid ads. And so they're going to hire a whole bunch of people there. They're going to give you more hiring budget there. Um and it and there is a tendency to promote depth rather than breadth or generalist is what Yang was saying, which is ironic if you think about it, because if you do want to be in a senior leadership position, a VP of marketing or in CMO, you need to be able to connect the dots for the board or for the management at the top. You're going to need more breadth and that's regardless of of company size. So I think if, if your goals and passions is really to be like the senior UX or UI person, great, you know, but if you're aiming... For more management roles, then that's where some of the, you know, knowledge that you you have across different um, specializations and some of the softer skills and management skills are really going to be important. I was just speaking to a VP of marketing the other day, and he said he was having a tough time hiring because he said the problem with specialized roles is that they know how they know their job really well, um, but they don't know how their work fits in with the bigger picture. And you would think that is common sense, but silos tend to be created at work really, really quickly. Um, and so there's a tendency not to know enough about other people's roles, their technical roles. Um, and, and that's that's quite sad because marketing is all about integrated, multi-touch marketing, right? There's no like one superior team or skill set versus the other. Um, it, it's really having that bigger view on how the business views success and how everybody's contributions make a difference to that. And I think with COVID, hybrid work, tighter budgets, technical skills are easily available anywhere now and in lower cost countries. So the question is, how do you hire for specialized skills, um, just like the VPI talked about, but also break the silos and have a development plan for your people that helps them grow, that makes the work really interesting so that it's high performing, it's motivated, right? So they're always stepping up their game and gaining the respect of the organization for their contributions,
2: Right. And Judson, what do you think? Um, It really depends on what your final, what your term, your end goal is. Uh, If you really want to be, if you're super interested in user, in UI, UX, you have no interest in in management, you just want to be, um, you know, super good specialist, then specialization is is the the way to go. Um, But I I think many marketers will want to eventually one day be a CMO or, or VP, right? and that will require a lot of um, commercial sensibilities um, like marketing in, 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 all, in any organization the, the, the key thing uh, the key role for marketing is to bring in the business and if you aspire to be in management but you don't understand um, how the commercial side of things work uh, you don't really know how to look at P&L or um, stuff like that then then that is that is not going to help you at all uh, in in your career, and that exactly is being generalist. And so, actually, a growth marketer is pretty much generalist uh, because they look at a lot of um, how you use incentives and how when you use incentives, it will impact your 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 budget, etc. Um. So, but that being said, anybody can evolve from being a specialized uh, special specialist to be a generalist. It just takes a little bit of um deliberate effort to know where you want to swing your career to so you can be a UX UI designer and you can be interested in management at the same time and so just just understand how maybe through an MBA or talking to management people and understand how general management is being done and you can still practice UX UI and do general management at the same time there is no in fact I think it is more difficult to start as a generalist and become a specialist like if today I say I want to be a UX designer, I think it's too late. I have to go back to school, learn everything from scratch. Um, so actually, it is okay to start as a specialist and then become a generalist. Yeah.
0: Okay. Now, there's also a question here, which actually ties in quite well, which is from, uh, from our audience. Uh, Liana has asked, uh, what are the top three skills that marketing professionals need to have in order to stay ahead of latest advancements in technology? So we'll do this in a bit more of a fun way. Instead of each of you giving three, let's just have each of you give one only and we'll make up those three as we go along. Uh, So Davinia, do you you want to start off? What what do you think the first top skill would be?
3: I I have to agree with Judson on on finance. Um, It's not the sexiest thing for me to say. You know, I wish I could be saying things like curiosity, you know, coaching. Maybe I should say coaching because I'm from CoachUp, but... Honestly, it would be finance because once you know that really well and having been to different organizations, enterprise and small, you'd be surprised how little marketing actually pays attention to that. Um, and if you demonstrate that you're a good steward, um, especially to your CFO, um, I, I think don't underestimate the power of your CFO um, has and the finance team has on on your budgets and and your forecasts and and how you kind of reconcile everything together. Um, it can have an impact on the budget you get next year. You know, Knowing some of these basic terms, you don't need to be a whiz, but know enough. I think that will go a long way in helping you do the kind of marketing work you want to do that's going to make an impact.
2: Okay.
0: Yang, what do you think the second one would be? I think the second one is going to be...
1: I don't know what's the right word. Would it be sales? I'd say because, uh, I mean, ultimately you want to... You should know that marketing is about driving more sales and bringing brand awareness, and ultimately, everything leads to to selling something. So, if if there's a marketer who you know is too far away from that, he um, just wants to do his or her own thing, uh, being specialized in that, then like all Hasan is saying, it, it's it's very unlikely that you're gonna be going and at the level that that you need to communicate with various uh, other teams. So, having a, a keen focus on on why you're doing what you're doing and how how it kind of relates to the business objectives, I think uh, will help you stay on top of of various things and and also help you kind of guide the technology that you want to be investing.
2: Okay. And uh, Judson, the third skill? Um, Negotiation. Because that's the only thing that AI cannot do for you. Especially if if you work in a multinational company with several layers, many multiple groups with different... OKRs and interests, um, no matter how smart you are or no matter how sophisticated the tools you have, if you don't know how to negotiate and convince people to be aligned with your interest, then nothing, nothing matters, right? So, um, so yeah, as a, as a marketer, especially actually as a marketer, we need to know how to convince stakeholders to give you, give to, to give you budget to do what you want to do, um, I think it's a common thing that, you know, commercial on on the commercial side, they have their own goals. They want to do, they have their own goals and they strongly believe that launching something will work. Um, And then there's a job as a marketer to, uh, to, to, to remind them that, you know, just because you're very confident something will work, it doesn't mean that the consumers will agree with you. And so let's, you know, let's do some market research and stuff like simple things like that. I think in many organizations, it's even difficult to achieve that. And so if the marketer cannot doesn't have the persuasion, the the the, the skill, the, the will to persuade, uh then then you can't really achieve much as a marketer. So I would say persuasion and, and negotiation. Yeah, yeah. I, I think
0: that, that that makes a lot of sense, especially because you do find, and, and I think we'll we'll be sort of transitioning into the next talking point here, which is the your your startup versus the MNC culture, especially for marketing. I think being able to justify what your plan is like why you, you want to go ahead and execute a certain plan or idea is definitely going to be one of the biggest things that you're going to need to do as a marketer i think more so if you are in a startup as well because maybe in an MSE you'll probably have your your line manager or maybe your director or someone who, who's trying to push that across um for you if, if you are junior or mid level but um in a startup definitely you're most likely going to have to do that yourself uh what, what do you think about the difference in culture, Davinia, between an MNC versus a startup?
3: Uh, well, I've I've had the best of both worlds. So, um, But even for a startup, there are differences in culture depending on the maturity and the leadership that is helping um, the reins at the time. Usually what I've observed is, you know, the first few years, most founders really want to make a name for themselves really quickly. They want to get huge user bases. They've got lots of cash, they really believe they're the Davids to the Goliaths. So they tend to be really aggressive. Um, and so for marketing, the culture becomes quite aggressive. You have to be not just a jack of all traits, but a master of all traits. You literally have to fly the plane while building it. Um, and so you're you're going to be looking at things in terms of economies of scale, yet it has to have impact and growth. When you hit, you know, in the later years, what I call the teenage years, you um, adulting years for startups, they start having greater sense of awareness of their sweet spot in terms of the value proposition, the customer segment. They're starting to listen more to their customers versus chiming about how wonderful their product is. Um, They're starting to be more deliberate about the landing, expanding, and growth mode. Um, And they've gained some humility, right, because of all the hard knocks and bruises in the earlier years. So you start seeing more processes come into place so that's when the culture becomes all about excellence. You know, you start um, seeing people hire more senior marketers um, who, who can kind of connect the dots, rally the team together, who understands the technical side, but also the management side of things as well and the commercial um, requirements as well. Um, in enterprise, again, you know, my experience goes way back, so it may not be the latest, but at the time, you know, I would always hear this term, that's your job, not mine. So it's... I do believe there's a fine line of setting boundaries for your well-being versus, you know, creating this wall and not being collaborative. Um, and and so there's the extreme of a ton of processes that really inhibits collaboration of getting things done really quickly, of sharing ideas, which is what you you need in a startup because you you don't have a lot, so you've got to make things happen.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think the difference, especially for marketing, is going to be in the freedom to experiment. I think Davinius spoke about that. I think the first, like the first three years, like the baby years or whatever, like you. I think if you manage to get forty percent, fifty percent buy-in, like you, you can just go ahead and do whatever you want, right? You let's say you want to make uh, a website in for uh, for various languages, or you want to try out um, Baidu, TikTok, any anything, right? You can you can just do it. I think no one's really going to be hard resisting you, especially if there isn't. Like a CMO or, or or someone who is very experienced in that. So I think that if you're kind of in that, if your appetite is really to kind of do whatever and fail fast, I think that's going to be uh, it's going to be there. But as the startup matures into the teenage and, and adult years, people are start, are going to be moving from like why are we why are we experimenting? We should be we should be knowing this stuff, you know. Like we should have processes around that, and, and that's where you probably need ninety percent buy-in to, in order to do something um, different. So I think if you, I think if you are in an MNC, I think just speaking based off of experience, if you're in a, if you're in a kind of an experimental team, I'd say it's a it's sort of a danger zone because if there's anything, if there's any problem uh, along the way and someone needs to go, I think this this is the team that will first be chopped. Like the stuff that it's more legacy, I think those, those are the things that will be kind be yeah more more job security there versus something that versus uh, the zone where you're
2: more and uh, more experiment yeah and Judson yeah so I'd like to build on uh, Young's point of experimentation I was never in a startup I was the, the, the most the closest was uh, I was in a startup that was about to become an MNC anyway um, but I was in government um, I was uh, also in a company that, that lasted for that was um, around for 50 plus years and the, the, the most stark the, the starkest difference between maybe let's say being in, in tech or being in, in um, a tra- traditional company is the appetite to experiment. It's very easy for for senior management to say, yeah, let's experiment, let's experiment, right? But I don't think um, they understand. I don't think um, the level of understanding of what experimentation, marketing experimentation is, uh, I think it varies across the different companies' uh, age. So if, it, if we are talking about a traditional company, um, it's mainly just lip service and they don't really know what it entails and therefore you don't have the resources to do so. And if let's say a series of, if you did five experiments and all five of them fail in succession, they will start to panic. They will just pull the plug and then say, okay, stop it, right? But if uh, if it's an attack company or if it's a startup or a startup about to become an NMC, um, the appetite, the risk appetite is, is much bigger. You can fail 20 times and you can still go on and on and on. And the spirit of experimentation, I think is very important, especially when it comes to if, let's say, your product is very tech-based and therefore you need to really fail very fast and find a winning formula, winning product feature in order to differentiate yourself from your competitors. So this is the the, the greatest difference that I see.
0: Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you for all the points. Um, That's actually, those are the questions and talking points that we had uh, set for today's discussion. Um, And actually, if we look at it, we're coming up to to the end of the time. So I'll end things over here. We've had a few questions come through as well. But we've actually answered most of these already throughout the discussion without having to actually ask the question, to be fair. It just naturally came up, uh, including that bonus question, which was, I mean, the bonus question was sort of answered. My bonus question was, would AI and marketing lead to mass unemployment in the field? But we sort of covered that already in a sense where everyone's going to have to transform. They're going to have to get new skills to keep up really right um and Judson, you you made a very good point as well which was you know everyone looks at for example excel as the default now right we just have to wait a little bit longer before everyone starts seeing chat gpt as that default and not this super hot um topic to just go on about as a tool to just be using um but yeah we'll we'll end things over here it was a brilliant discussion uh, i definitely learned a lot from this in terms of what tools i should and shouldn't use okay monday.com is not happening um but thank you all thank you for, uh, to the three speakers for sharing all your knowledge your insights as well on this topic today and thank you to our audience as well for listening in as well as asking your questions and leaving any comments hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you all next time when we discuss another very very hot topic on the evolution exchange goodbye